You're listening to Modern Marketing, a podcast brought to you by Influicity. At Influicity, we build brand communities that drive revenue. Learn more at Influicity.com. On today's episode, Influicity CEO John Davids and social media lead Natalie Lychik talk about how you can build communities on TikTok, Instagram, and more. So we'll get going here, actually. Let's start with a question that you and I were talking about before the mics heated up. And that is this idea of building community. But before we do that, people have a conversation around making content and wanting to go viral. And they Mm -hmm. think that going viral is the way to kind of grow a big audience. So I know you have a counterintuitive point on this. What's your take on going viral? Yeah, so something I see often on TikTok is people getting stuck in the 200 views curse, but then going viral on one or a few videos. And while this is a great way to get a bunch of new followers quickly, oftentimes the followers don't translate into long-term viewers. And you're likely going to have to stick to making viewers about that specific topic if you want to keep your views up, which could be fine, but also could not be fine if you want to broaden, I guess, your horizons and the type of content that you make. So in my opinion, what's better than going viral is having a bunch of videos that you upload, get a good amount of views. This could be a few thousand. You also have to look at your follower ratio. So if you have like 10,000 followers and you get 5,000 views per video, that's a very good ratio because it shows that you're creating a community and your followers are coming back to your page. And that in the long term is is what's going to sell products, right? Not going viral once in the blue moon, right? So if you're trying to sell something, it's better to actually build that community and a strong community at that so that people feel connected to you because they'll trust your word and they'll actually want to buy stuff from you in the long run. And just so we can kind of get it out of the way off the bat, what's your definition of community? When you say that, what are you thinking about community versus just having a big following? Or are, are they the same thing in your mind? They can be the same thing, but they're not always the same thing. So you can see people on TikTok or Instagram who have like 100,000 followers, but then they get no views, no comments, nothing, right? So they obviously don't have a very strong community. But then you see someone who can have, and this is true for bigger followers, like you look at Alex Earl, and she has millions of followers and a really strong community because people trust her words so much. They engage with her content. They find her super relatable. And she says she uses a product and it's sold out the next day. So she's a huge creator, has a big community, but you can also be a tiny creator with a strong community as well. As long as you have people coming back to your page and wanting more and engaging with you, then you have a strong community. Yeah, you you already dropped Alex Earl. So for those in the audience who don't know Alex Earl, let's just give a quick intro. What's 10 seconds on Alex Earl, Natalie? Yeah, Alex Earl, she's, I would say, more of a, a lifestyle creator that blew up a few months back. People find her super relatable because she's not afraid to show like the the real side of things. Like a lot of influencers put on like filters or they Photoshop their images and she will just get like down and dirty. She'll say, Hey guys, like, this is like my acne. I'm going Accutane. And she just like, you know, lets her authenticity show. And that's what people love about her. And that's really why she went viral. And that's a key, I think, especially to community is showing people like, Hey, I'm just like you and being relatable, being authentic because people don't like facades and they can usually read through that kind of stuff. So having that authentic personality is, is what she did and it's what helped her go viral and build a community. 
Yeah. And the other thing, so everything you said is true. And I think she does a very good job. I have heard through, through the grapevine that she works with a great PR agency. And so she's doing a great job at manufacturing that image, which by the way, doesn't mean that the image is inauthentic. It just yeah. means that she has help telling that story, which is what a lot of brands do very wisely. And then the other thing about her is, yeah, the point you made about showing like when I checked out her TikTok a few weeks ago, when I was first introduced to her, the first thing I saw was like, hey, check out my acne. Or yeah. let me tell you about my breast implants and how that, you know, why I got that, how I was self-conscious and why why I needed it. So putting all that out there, it works. Like, and there are, you know, for every Alex Earl, there's a hundred examples of that exact thing. Exactly. Yeah. So it might not, it doesn't mean it's inauthentic, but she's very strategic with showing that side of her. And that's something I always recommend to people as well. And I, I'm even trying to do myself still is just like not being afraid to be authentic and show people, Hey, I'm just like you, because that's what really gets them in. Would you say that that humanizes you? I think so, because I think a lot of people put, you know, celebrities or influencers on like pedestals. Right. And I think people often forget that they're humans are just like us. Right. So I feel like that little reminder is what people need, especially nowadays on social media, when with everything is so like filtered and Photoshopped and edited, and especially with AI nowadays, you have no idea what's real. So I think it's really good to kind of put that back into social media. Yeah. So humanizing is a word that we throw around a lot. It's it's kind of like the verb when you're doing community building and you're trying to take a brand, whether it's an actual inanimate brand or a person who's becoming a brand and turning it into a something that people can relate to, you need to be humanizing. And so, you know, we've talked about this before and we've exhausted it, but happy to give you guys just a quick primer. The idea that whatever you're doing, whatever kind of brand you're building, you need to do it in a way that is, even if it's aspirational, it has to be approachable. It can't be untouchable. It has to feel relatable enough that people can say, oh yeah, I've been there or I feel like that or I can relate to that. And it really, there's really no exceptions. Even if you're the biggest star in the world or the biggest brand in the world, it's those moments where people can feel like they relate to you that you connect with them the most. Yeah, exactly. And especially nowadays too, Gen Z is kind of what's making things go viral. And I feel like that's the key to getting to Gen Z is showing them that you're a person, even if you have this big brand, you know, oftentimes companies want to come off as super professional, have really curated content, like to the T perfect grammar, everything. And that's just not really the way to relate to people anymore. Like maybe it was back in, you know, back in the day when we use more traditional marketing, when there wasn't social media, but nowadays that's what people love to see. And if you have a brand, you know, show yourself, introduce yourself, like show the hardships of what it's actually like being a brand owner and the behind the scenes. And don't be afraid to be goofy and silly and, and just be raw and real. And I think that's, what's really going to correlate with people. One other thing I'll throw in is just a, a little tactic that I use all the time and I see it all the time is throwing in Easter eggs. So you just mentioned, for example, like watching your spelling and grammar. There's one brand that I that I follow where they spelt something wrong one time and they got sort of called out like, oh, you spelt this wrong, whatever. And now they will consistently spell that wrong because exactly. it's an Easter egg for all the folks that are like, oh, I, I know what you're doing. Yeah, exactly. It's it's a little trick, actually, people say you can do as well is purposely spell things wrong or purposely do something wrong or say a fact wrong, because then you're going to get people correcting you in the comments, which obviously boosts your engagement. So that's exactly the point that, you know, everything on social media, it doesn't have to be curated. And when it is super professional and curated, it can actually do you wrong. 
Yeah. Um, so if any of you guys follow me on LinkedIn, uh, John David's on LinkedIn, a lot of the most viral posts. So, I mean, because I have an, a big audience, I'll do a post and, and it'll, you know, usually get seen by a lot of people. But sometimes what I'll do intentionally, it really just for R and D is I'll throw in a number that I know is wrong, or I'll say like, Oh, this company's doing X revenue or whatever. And I'll, I'll crazy lowball it. Like I'll use a really low, like stupid low number and I'll have people calling me out. And that only increases the engagement. And, you know, maybe I'll correct somebody after like four days when I've already got, you know, all the win. I'll be like, oh, yeah, sorry, it was this. But like little things like that, don't be afraid to get called out, so to speak. It's fine. It just increases engagement a lot of the time. Exactly. There you go. Okay, cool. So there was another thing we talked about going viral. And then you had a great point about niching down. So talk about how niching down can help you in building a community. Yeah. So, I mean, on social media, they always say to, you know, pick a niche and stick to it. But I would say if you can find a way to niche down even more than you already have, I think that's super important if you can do that. So I'm going to give an example of my personal TikTok account where I did this and I saw a lot of success. So I, on my personal account, made videos about fashion. And while I had videos go viral, I wanted to try something different and wanted to see if I can kind of speed up that process even more. So I'm obsessed with summer as a season. So I tried to relate it to my original niche, which was fashion, and then tried to put it together with summer. So summer fashion, I talked about TV shows that were summery, like Outer Banks or whatever it may be, and overall summer aesthetics. So I started making videos related to summer and fashion. And that's when I saw the biggest growth in not only followers, but community. So there is a community of people that love summer on TikTok, but it's not very saturated. So what this means is that if someone wants to go and look at summer themed content on TikTok, they're going to have to look at a specific creator's page. It's not very easily accessible, right? Like there's thousands, hundreds of thousands, maybe millions of people on TikTok making fashion content, right? But how many people are making videos about summer? Probably not that many, right? So I noticed that I gained a lot of followers at once when I started integrating these two niches together. And I actually had people coming back, commenting on my stuff saying like, I'm always looking forward to when you post because it always just makes you so excited for summer. Like I love your entire page, all this, all that. So I had people coming back. I noticed it was the same people coming back when I niched down. So if you can find a way to find a niche, maybe that's related to your main niche or just find a niche overall, that's like a very specific community, then I think that's a really important way that you can grow community because people are going to have to go to your page if they want to learn about X, Y, Z. So true. So true. We, we talk about niches or niches and there's riches in the niches. I call that like the tactic that you just described, I call it niche stacking, which is coming up with a niche on a niche on a niche. And a good example, I gave a friend of mine who's in the, in the marketing world, he was creating content and he was creating marketing content, which is crazy broad. Like marketing can mean a million things. Yeah. So then I said, okay, what, what are you really talking about? He said, well, I'm talking about email marketing. Okay, well, right there, you've just narrowed it down to like 10% of marketing. So that's really good. Yeah. What else? Well, I'm talking about email marketing for small businesses. Okay, great. Let's go even deeper. Email marketing for businesses that are doing under 100,000 in revenue and want to get to 500,000. Okay, so like now we're really, really getting deep. And the reason that's a good thing is the content that you're going to create for those people is going to be so tailored and so specific. And it's like, yeah, I could, I could read about marketing or I could read about email marketing for small businesses that are just like me. Where am I going to go? And right, and and I'm going to tell all my friends who are in the same boat as me. And you just said it. You know, being obsessed with fashion is one thing, but fashion 
and summer. And maybe you could, you know, keep layering that on if you want to, or maybe that's already a tight enough niche, but that's so important. Why do you think people don't do that? Like, wh- why do people kind of get tempted to just be everything to everyone? I think people just, I think they want to be the biggest of the biggest, right? They look at the biggest influencers and they're like, I want to be like that. I want to be like Alex Earl. I want to be like Addison Ray or whoever it is. And you look at these people and they don't have a specific niche. Like Alex Earl makes lifestyle videos, right? She just talks about like, Hey, uh, help me pick an outfit for this event or do my makeup with me. Or she just shows like, she tells a story, like you said, like, Hey, this is my acne. This is my acne journey. So she doesn't really have a specific niche. She just talks about her life. And I feel like that's kind of what a lot of people, they don't want to like settle down for a specific niche, I think also, because then, you know, once you get those followers, you're going to have to make this content for literally forever. So I think that's where people kind of go wrong. They want to be the biggest of the biggest. And they realize, they don't realize that it's not often that someone's going to blow up like Alex Earl, right? So I'll I'll add to that. So there's there's two things that it makes me think. Number one, for someone, and I don't know the origin story of Alex Earl, and there's you know a, a million different examples of this, but generally almost everybody is going to start off with a niche and then move upwards. And so you're going to start with, as you said, I do fashion for summer and I focus on women of whatever. Like there's a certain niche, maybe there's a certain geography or a certain psychographic. I focus on women over 40 dressing for summer or you know yeah. whatever that looks like. And then from there, you can expand upwards. Once you have that demographic, you can say, okay, now I'm going to expand to spring and winter. Now I'm going to expand to summer travel. And so when somebody is a quote unquote lifestyle influencer, they may have started super tight and then gone up from there. And then the other thing I'll say, so that's point number one, where you start is not where you're going to end up, but you've got to start somewhere, right? Yeah. Netflix used to be a mail order DVD business, people, right? Oh, wow. <laughs> so, I didn't even know that. <laughs> didn't think about that. You didn't even know that. Exactly. No. They used to have to mail you DVDs in the, in the mail. Anyway, so that's number one. The other thing I was going to say, and this is sort of a twist because I've had conversations with celebrities at the top of their game who are, let's say, big in politics or big in, in entrepreneurship or whatever. And what's funny is that they will say, people think that I can talk about anything I really can't. Like, if you are known for something, take Alex Earl. And if Alex Earl were, were, to, were to do a video on like politics, her fans would be like, what are you doing? Like, she'd rebel. Yeah. So even though you think someone can talk about anything, they really still have a corner yeah. of the world they operate in. Yeah, yeah, very true. Like, they're very, it's, I guess it's still technically a niche. Like, lifestyle is still a niche. And like you said, when you start, where you start isn't where you end up. So even now, like, yeah, I'm making videos about fashion in summer, but I'm like, okay, maybe I, I do want to build a stronger community. So maybe I should do more videos of myself just talking. And I did a video last week introducing myself and, you know, just sitting in front of the camera. And because at the end of the day, you do need that community and that humanization and the relatability. And I feel like if that's someone's end goal, you can't do it just by, you know, sticking to one niche forever and and not broadening your horizons, which I think is really important. Obviously, if you want to talk about this, about a specific niche forever, that's great. That's fine. That's perfect. But you know, just because you start somewhere, like you said, doesn't mean you have to end up that way. And I think if you have that community, they will follow you wherever you end up. So true. If you have questions as we're talking here, drop them in the Q&A area. I see a few coming in now and we will get to them as we go along. Let's talk about Instagram for a minute because we did some research ahead of this and you found some pretty interesting stuff, some new stuff about creating content on Instagram and making sure it's seen by a lot of people. Can you share some tips on Instagram community building? 
Yeah. So Instagram has had a lot of changes recently. Some people are calling it a full-time job now because that's how many changes it's had. So they used to say to post two to three times a week in order to be favored by the algorithm. And now they're saying to post daily. And this can be anything from a static post to a vertical reel. And I say vertical reel because Instagram will not push a horizontal video or a square video or anything with a black border. And carousels are also back in. So just don't focus specifically on reels. That was the key point, I think, maybe a few months ago. But Instagram, for once, I think, is starting to listen to people. And they're saying, okay, we'll make the the static posts and the carousels, you know, we'll make them work again. So yeah, posting once daily is what I'm seeing. And then posting up to six stories a day and spacing them out evenly. So two in the morning, two in the afternoon, and then two in the evening. Any more than that, you could be considered spammy. And then any less, you could be considered not posting enough. And then finally, hashtags are out, which I've been hearing people talking about this for quite a few weeks now, even on TikTok, they're saying hashtags are out. So they're recommending to post ideally three hashtags, but not more than five, as it's considered to be spammy. And what's more important now, and this is the same for TikTok, is to focus more on your caption to ensure that you're SEO optimized. Because Instagram is trying to be a search engine and is trying to be more like TikTok. Because I consider TikTok a search engine. I literally will go to TikTok to search something up rather than Google. So... It's definitely certain. Yeah. That's unbelievable. What what do you yeah. find? Like, do you get answers on TikTok? I do. I do get answers on TikTok. Wow. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So definitely there's they're saying to focus more on the caption. So you definitely have to be more thoughtful when you're writing your caption on Instagram. And this is the same on TikTok as well. So be super thoughtful. Make it longer. Longer captions usually do better. And make sure to throw in a lot of those buzzwords and those keywords that's related to your niche. And don't focus too much on the hashtags anymore. Yeah. So the interesting thing is something you said at the very beginning, and we got a question in that sort of is on the same line as well, is that you said following Instagram is like a full-time job. And I would argue that following every social media platform is like a full-time job. So just so you guys know, like internally at Influicity, Natalie's sort of our in-house TikTok guru, knows everything about, about TikTok. We've got somebody who knows everything about influencer marketing. We've got podcast pros. My specialty is sort of LinkedIn, Twitter, where I can, you know, I've been on LinkedIn eight times today. I bet Natalie hasn't even logged in, but you've been on TikTok, you know, 20 times. (laughs) Absolutely. And so they really are niches. And so the reason I say that is because when you think about community building, I know a lot of people here, marketing leaders are are listening in, are thinking like, oh, we're going to do A, B, C, D. And it's like, your team leaders or the people that are leading the TikTok effort, Instagram effort, whatever it is, they need to be so native to the community that they understand this stuff like the back of their hand. And so taking someone who's like, you know, really good at this and then throwing them into that platform, I'm not saying you shouldn't do it because obviously we all have to learn, but that's yeah. going to create a delay in terms of the uptick versus taking someone who knows exactly what they're doing and just putting them into, into that environment and saying, do your work. You know, these days when I see someone who's like, oh, I'm a social media expert, like, what the hell does that mean? Like, what, what social media, right? Yeah. I, I'm a social media expert and I couldn't tell you the first thing about Discord, you know, which is like a huge platform. So these <laughs> things really are specialties. Yeah, for sure. There's, there's so much to each platform and you can't specifically like, you're, it's constantly changing. The algorithm on each platform is constantly changing. It's so hard to keep up and 
especially now, I feel like there's even, there was like a new social media app that was popping up. You know, when they were saying that TikTok was going to be banned, it's called Lemon 8. I don't know if you've heard of it. I've heard of that. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, there's, there's more stuff popping up. <laughs> Who knows if that's going to last? Probably not. But it's like, there's so many apps now. It's hard to keep up with all of them. So if you want to be on all of them, like you said, that in itself is a full-time job. Yeah. Have you downloaded... Do you use Be Real? I actually don't use Be Real. I'm like, I'm the type of person where I will jump on the bandwagon at the very last possible moment. Right. So but, I, but the, the problem with that is that if there is, if the platform does take off, you wish you were there earlier. Exactly. That actually is something I noticed. It's like, damn, like I got on TikTok so late. Like, what was I doing like, right. in 2020 when it was blowing up and it was so easy to get views? You were a YouTube star. That, that's what was happening. Oh, well, yeah, exactly. I was, I was on YouTube back then, but I yeah. should have been also focusing on TikTok. So one of the questions here, which we sort of just talked about, what are the best ways to keep up with the constant updates and changes on Instagram? Well, thank you, Anonymous, for submitting the question. So one way is you're here. So that, that's a good thing. So <laughs> listening to folks like us who, who live and breathe it, we actually ironically found a lot of stuff about Instagram on TikTok, right? Yeah. yeah. So there's accounts to follow, people to follow. Any specific tips on, on where to get Instagram updates? I believe that you can actually schedule calls with Instagram. I don't know if this is hundred percent true, but I've read somewhere that you can just like you can with TikTok. So, and they will like very much like tell you what kind of you need to do or their suggestions on how to do well on Instagram. So if you want to hear like straight from the source, you can, I'm pretty sure you can schedule a call. If not, there are plenty of creators. I mean, creators like us, you know, we've talked about like podcasts as well on our TikTok. So there's plenty of creators that share updates on what's going on with the algorithm, the changes and, and what you need to be doing going forward on whatever platform it is, whether it's Instagram or TikTok. So there's plenty of creators that will share any updates that they're seeing. So it's quite easy to be up to date on what's going on. Yeah. For publications, I mean, there's TubeFilter, which is a good one. TubeFilter.com is sort of like a pub, you know, a trade publication in the space. But honestly, the best thing to do is just go to TikTok or Instagram and search Instagram tips, TikTok tips, growth, that sort of thing. And you'll you'll find all the accounts at Influicity on both of these platforms, especially TikTok right now, is dropping amazing, amazing knowledge. Thanks to the lady on your screen there. <laughs> this podcast is brought to you by Influicity. Since 2015, we've been building brand communities that drive revenue. First, we did it through influencers. Then we added podcasts. Today, we work with world-class brands to build, optimize, and run breakthrough programs that create and capture demand. It's time to stop renting your influence and start owning it. Learn more at Influicity.com. Okay, let's go to... We'll go to LinkedIn and Twitter because I know there's a lot of folks listening in now who are running B2B brands. And so LinkedIn and Twitter are quite powerful for reaching white-collar audiences and uh, and, and also blue-collar audiences, but, but professional audiences in general. So a few things I'll talk about in terms of community building on LinkedIn and Twitter. So one thing that I find is overlooked quite a bit... This, I guess, applies to all platforms, but LinkedIn and Twitter in particular is that People don't, the posters don't engage enough with the commenters. And here's what I mean. You'll see a brand that's actually like, you know, putting a lot of work into, into their content and they're starting to get some traction. And then people will, will respond and they ignore the, the responders. And I've actually had calls. I was on a call just a few weeks ago with a, a marketing lead at a, at a very big fashion company 
that you guys have all heard of. And she was like, oh, do you recommend that we, when someone comments on our like Twitter, on our tweets, should we respond to them? And I'm like, is that a serious question? Like, of course you should respond to them. That's the definition of community building, right? Yeah. If you went, if you went to an event and if I hosted an event and invited 50 people and then I stood in the corner and ignored everybody, like that wouldn't be very a very good host thing to do. So engaging with people and, and even if it's overwhelming because you're getting hundreds of comments because you're fortunate enough to get hundreds of comments, you really do need to treat these people as real people and not just spammers. If they are spamming or if they're saying, you know, not nice things, that's a different story. But you really need to treat every single person like a customer, a potential sale, someone who really wants to engage with you, and you need to be responding to them and taking the time to do that. Is is that something that, that you find too, Natalie? Oh, a hundred percent. I would say even the same on on that's the truth on every social media platform. Something I see also is that people will go viral, whether it's Instagram, TikTok, whatever it may be. And they don't respond to the comments. And they have so many comments. And I'm like, what are they doing? This is a missed opportunity. So if you can respond even with like a video, like on TikTok, you can respond to the comment with a video. Doing that is so important because it shows people that like, hey, I'm not just responding to you. I'm literally taking time out of my day to talk to you. And I don't even know you, right? So showing people that, hey, yeah, I'm willing to take time out of my day to respond to you, to answer your questions, to get you to you know DM me personally if they have a concern. That just shows that you care and you are in in the process gonna build that community. Yeah. My wife is big in the Instagram foodie community. So she loves, you know, all the recipes and all all that stuff. And when she sees something she likes, she will DM the creator. And when she gets a response, which, you know, maybe like half the time they respond, half the time they don't, but when they do, like that's someone that she's gonna be following, she's gonna be buying their cookbook, she's gonna be watching their reels, she's gonna be recommending them. So it goes a long way. Yeah, people actually do feel ignored. Say they're a longtime follower and they will respond to creator's story or comment. And they say if they don't get that attention back, they actually do end up feeling bad and they feel kind of ignored and they're like, oh, I'm just, you know, a number to this person. But when you actually, exactly like you said, you engage with them, they're more likely to engage with you, right? It's the whole sense of showing up for them and they show up for you. So if you engage with each other, even going on onto their page and engaging with their content, like commenting on some of their videos or, or their posts or whatever it may be, responding to their or, or swiping up on their story and making a comment about their story, people love that kind of stuff. So as long as you stay engaged with your community, they're going to show up for you back. Yeah. Especially, I would say, on LinkedIn. I'll just focus on that because that, that's where I'm most active on a personal basis. It's amazing how many people, you know, you'll post something and you'll get whatever 50 responses, but the caliber of followers, the caliber of users on that platform is just amazing. So if you're running a real estate company or you're running a, a, an accounting firm or a law firm or you're building a business where these kinds of people are your customers and you get an influx of responses, it's human nature to think, oh, well, they're all responding. They all just must be like, you know, whatever, randos. They're not randos. They're real people that are yeah. responding and they can all be customers. So take the time to, to go through them one by one. Exactly. We have a question here from another anonymous person. To what degree and how are you utilizing AI tools, ChatGPT, Jasper, in your social media activity? So I'll let you go first on this one, Natalie. Sure. So... I was very late to the chat GPT game. John, you were trying to get me onto chat GPT for like a few weeks. You're like, have you tried it out? <laughs> you, it out? you were like three weeks late. <laughs> yeah, I was like three weeks late. And I was like, no, no. I was like, I don't want to jump on the bandwagon. Like, who cares? 
And then I eventually got onto it and I was like, wow, this is super cool. And honestly, super helpful. I don't think that you should rely on chat GPT alone when it comes to social media. I think it can be a really big help because a lot of creating content is, is doing research on what is doing well. And that is something that a lot of the times people would have to do themselves authentically, right? So they'd have to take time out of the day to research the types of content that does well, or like go on Google and see what people are searching and make videos based on that. And, you know, sometimes if people aren't good with writing, they can't figure out a caption. So I feel like chat GPT does a really good job at saving people time in terms of, you know, you can ask it like, Hey, what type of content should I make related to email marketing or whatever your niche is, or Hey, write me a caption for a video or a post or write me a LinkedIn post. And I think it can be a really good base, but I wouldn't say it's like 100% perfect when it does give you a response. I feel like whenever I have used it, I've had to take it as like kind of a starting point. And then I add my own little spice to it because I feel like it does kind of lack the tone, right? Like the specific tone that you need. I feel like it does kind of lack that sometimes. So I feel like it's a good start and, you know, you can play around with it to see how it works and all of that, but I wouldn't rely on it 100%. Yeah, for me, it's I consider it like a back office tool. So not anything that I'm going to put in front of readers, customers, viewers, but something that I'm going to use to generate ideas and research. So some common use cases in our world are when we're coming up with we we do a lot of we make a lot of podcasts for a lot of brands and we send out a lot of podcast proposals and we have to come up with titles for podcasts and cool names for podcast episodes so we have a new podcast coming out for a big sort of pet animal company and a company in the, in the pet space and i was like okay give me good names for an animal or a pet podcast and it came up with like 20 names and three of or four of them are actually really good i think we actually went with one of them so yeah. That's a good example. Another good example is research. So I'll punch in, hey, tell me everything about whatever, the the maker of this water bottle. And it'll give me a whole bunch of research. Now, the thing is, a third of that research will be wrong, but that's okay because I can I can fact check it and I and I at least I know what to ask Google now. I'll be like, hey, is this true? And I'll whatever. So research. I have one more use case, which is actually kind of like really funny. So one really good use case was when we're planning out our social media, I needed... So we use this board, this like um, project management software to plan out social media. And one thing that ChatGPT does pretty amazingly well is tech support on steroids. So when I'm planning out, hey, how do I do... How do I plan out 10 different social media posts and make diff- uh, and like change the titles and swap the copy or whatever? I asked ChatGPT to give me a code that I could, like a formula that I can put into Excel. And it was like, just push this in. And it basically did, did the coding for me so that I was able to build this worksheet. So, again, all back office examples, yeah. but super helpful. Yeah. If you can, you know, find, if it makes your life easier when it comes to creating social media content or, or anything, then I definitely would, yeah, recommend it, but don't rely on it 100%. Like you said, I've asked it questions and it's been like completely wrong. Or I say like, can you write me a tweet? That's like 280 characters. And it's like, sure. And it gives me a tweet and it's 400 characters. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So it's not, it's not perfect. So don't rely on it a hundred percent, but it's it, not perfect. It, and and the funny thing is it presents itself with such confidence that you yeah. think it's perfect. <laughs> yeah. And then I remember it, it did that one time I asked her for a tweet and I was like, that's uh like how it was like that's 400 characters I was like well how much did i ask you like oh i apologize for the error here's another one and it wasn't 280 characters right that's funny so, yeah there's there's a lot of a lot of flaws there but if you definitely struggle in the creative space i feel like it can help a lot 
Yeah. I'll say one last thing. By the way, we have more questions coming in. We'll, we'll get to them. Thanks so much, guys. Drop them in the Q&A area. One thing I also will just caution as I see a lot of people, especially in the Twitter sphere and the, the whole professional kind of world where they're trying to find use cases and they're jamming chat GP into those, to those use cases. Just be careful. Like, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't go out of your way when, when things come up that that's when to do them, but it'll get a lot better. We'll have this conversation in six months from now and there'll be way more use cases for it. How do you post six times a day and not alienate followers? Don't want to appear obnoxious or too sales-like. So we were talking about this this morning, and I have a really good, I have an interesting thought to share. But I want to hear what what you think about how do you post enough but not seem too obnoxious? Yeah, I think especially on so on TikTok, they're saying to post five times a day, right? Instagram, you can do once a day, and that's perfectly fine. But on TikTok, it does kind of seem like a lot five times a day, especially if you're you know working a full time job, you run your own business, whatever it may be, five times a day is a lot. And I want to say it's definitely not necessary. I think if you're producing really good quality content that's engaging and fun, then you don't need to be posting five times a day. I used to be posting five times a day and now I'm not. And I'm seeing more results now than I was before. And it's because of the type of content that I'm making and I'm listening to what people actually want to see. And I make that content. So it's like that, that content speaks for itself, you know? So the reason they would say to post so often or five times a day or six times a day, whatever it is now, they say, cause it increases your chances of going viral, which is true. And I think that's definitely something that you can do, but make sure that each piece of content is very good quality because quality over quantity. Right. And if you don't want to seem too obnoxious or too sales, like I think if you're especially just starting off on TikTok, I think you should slowly introduce your brand or your product or whatever it is you're selling. Don't be like straight up like, Hey, my name's Tom and I'm selling pillows, right? Cause people aren't going to be engaged with that. They're going to be like, I don't care. They're going to keep scrolling. So I think find a niche that's related to pillows and then eventually introduce your brand. Once people actually see you as a leader, they see you as someone that they respect and they trust. Then you can say, Hey, I actually have my own pillow brand. Right. So that's what I would recommend doing. Yeah. I think. To your point, how how they say like post five times a day, I'm pretty sure that's because they know that four out of five pieces of content are going to suck. And yeah. so they recommend that so that you can... It's the same reason we say like, hey, create 20 pieces of creative for your ad campaign. It's like, yeah, because 19 are going to suck. And we know yeah. that. So we're saying it's not like you need 20, you just need one. So with that in mind, I actually come at it from a different angle, which is... When you're posting really, and this is going to sound like a humble brag, I promise it's not. I'm just giving, I'm telling it like it is. When you create content that is really good, so I'll speak about just myself on, on LinkedIn, I'll put a piece of content out there and it'll go crazy viral. And then the next day I'll post something else and I'll post something else the next day and the next day and they bomb. And they're bombing because the thing I posted three days ago is still going crazy viral. And LinkedIn is only going to show my post so often to the same people, like different posts from the same person. So the reason I say that is because if you're posting really good stuff that's doing really well, you only need to post once a day or once every other day because the shelf life of that content is more than two minutes, right? Like the shelf life is going to live on if it's working really well. We have content, I know you know this, Natalie, on the Influicity TikTok that is still doing better than anything new that we post, that is still just getting more eyeballs. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. There's, yeah, there is technically, I think, shelf life, but. Honestly, that's like so unpredictable. Like I've had, I had, I posted a video back in October 
And uh, this is on my personal account and it's still getting views and engagement. Like to this day, it's still being shown to people on the for you page. So it just goes to show that you don't need to be posting like, like you said, five, six times a day, as long as you have like one good piece of content that you can post and, and that's really going to resonate with people, then that content can last you for a very, very long time. Yeah. It's the gift that keeps on giving. And so what do you think, just to kind of bring it to a close here, and if you have any more questions, by all means, drop them in. Where do you think people should start off? If like, let's just say you're kind of new to the community building world and you are not a practitioner, you're not the person who's going to be doing the work, but you're, let's say, a marketing leader and you're thinking about building community. First of all, where would you start today? Would it be TikTok, podcast, LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram? Where would you start? And then what what would your approach be to kind of just get in the door? Yeah, I would say I would say start off small first. I wouldn't say to try to juggle all these different platforms at once, especially since each platform has their own, you know, strategy and has their own algorithm. So you would have to do a lot of research in terms of that. So I would say start off where you think is realistic for you. So say if you're really good with pictures and telling that kind of story through pictures, then say maybe start on Instagram. If you're really good with videos, maybe start on TikTok. So focus on where you think that you can do really good at and also see, you know, who your target audience is and, pick the platform based on that as well. And I would say, don't try to highball right away. Start off by making you know one video a week, if that's what's possible for you. Just start off one video a week, make it a really amazing video, do all your research on the strategy and make that one piece of content that you post a week, make it super like just amazing, inform- informative, fun, engaging, all that kind of stuff. And you can also content bulk, so you can make a lot of stuff on the weekend and then post them like once every single day and just slowly build it up from there. But always make sure that your content's the best and you're showing yourself and showing your personality. We had another question here actually that I forgot to get to. So the question is, can social signals impact organic search and any recommendations as far as best practices? So let's just just unpack the question a little bit. So social signals, I think, uh, you know, like if you're doing well on various social platforms, likes, comments, shares, that sort of thing, can it impact organic search, search coming from Google or Bing? So I don't, my, my take on that, and by the way, if the questioner is in the session, but you know, you can let me know if I'm getting that wrong. But my take on that is when you do very well on social in general, you tend to do well in search because it is one of the things that Google pulls. You know, they're yeah. looking if you have a Wikipedia page, if you have, you know, a million followers on Twitter. So doing well on social in general will help you do better. From a micro level, like will having a good social channel help with search? I mean, if someone searches your name or your brand name and your LinkedIn or your Twitter or your TikTok is the first result, then that would be great. Then like that, that, that that's a good thing. I don't know though if they're totally related from, from an SEO perspective. Now, as an adjacent thing to that, you were talking, Natalie, about how your default search engine is TikTok. So yeah. can you expand on that? Like how are you, I think it's interesting for a lot of listeners here. How are you actually going about searching on TikTok? Yeah. So I don't only use TikTok. I use TikTok when I want to see how something is done. So if I need a visual kind of picture of how something is done. So let me give you an example. So last week I bought something, a product for my hair and I wasn't sure how to use it. So I went into TikTok and I searched up how to use that product because I wanted to see the visual. And the visual is a lot better rather than going on Google and searching up how to use it and seeing like the words and you know being confused. So a lot of people are going to TikTok when they need a visual thing and that's what I'm doing especially. 
And to kind of expand on the question, I don't know if you noticed or if this is what you were talking about, but when I Google something, I actually do see TikToks pop up. So yeah. So for example, if you are talking about something, say it's email marketing and someone has a question about email marketing, then it's possible that your video will pop up in Google, the search in the Google search engine as a TikTok, right? And they can click your video. They'll be redirected to TikTok and they'll see your page your brand, whatever it may be. So I feel like that's another important, important point is, you know, to go on Google and see what people are actually searching up and then making videos about these questions. Cause you can find this data on Google. You can see what people are searching up related to your niche, whether that's email marketing or whatever, make videos about that. And then hopefully your video can pop up in Google when people search that up. It's so funny. And people are commenting now that it's also faster. When you search on TikTok, you'll get results very fast. So what's funny is what you're describing, that makes total sense to me. For me, that's YouTube. So I'll go to YouTube and I'll be like, how do I install this doorknob? And I'll just be, I'll, I'll type in the brand and I'll do whatever. But you're getting that on TikTok. And are you getting lots of answers? Like, Are you ever stumping TikTok and it doesn't know? Or does TikTok have all those answers? No, it doesn't have all those answers. Like I wasn't able to find a good video about how to use the product. So I ended up having to go just to Google. But yeah, I think you, people do use YouTube for that as well. But the thing is with YouTube is that it's very, it's long form content, right? So I'm like, if I can go to TikTok and find a video about how to use this product in under a minute, I'll just go do that because all these videos are 10 minutes long on YouTube, right? Because right. I feel like that's the thing is like people like convenience and quick and easy. I start something up on TikTok, a video pops up, it starts playing automatically, right? right. Whereas on YouTube, and the same thing with Google, I think is because you have to kind of scroll and like find the answer, right? Whereas with TikTok, it just pops up right in front of you. It's so true. My one of my favorite new features or newish features on on YouTube is that it automatically will section the videos off. So it'll be like introduction. We're talking about this, talking about that, and yeah. you can just jump to the part because I don't care about the first four minutes. Yeah, yeah. The first four minutes are always just literally nothing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, it's so true. And so uh, just just to wrap up that part of the conversation, do you think people should be gearing their TikToks at all to search queries? Like, should I be doing a TikTok with the thought in mind of I want to answer this question or that question? Yeah, for sure. I think this is a video that we made on on the Infelicity TikTok actually. So if you are, you know, making a video or you're making your whole page about a specific niche, you want to be answering people's questions, right? So if someone always has the same question like how do I best optimize email marketing for my brand? Right. And say, this is like the top search question on Google. That means that it's not just a question on Google. It's like going to be a question everywhere. Right. Mm -hmm. So if you can make a TikTok about that, then you're definitely going to see a lot of views, a lot of engagement. And just, if you're answering people's questions and commonly asked questions on Google, then you're definitely going to see as you're going to be seen as a leader and someone that knows what you're doing. If you're constantly answering these common questions. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's funny when, when you just going back to the conversation about niche, the first probably 50 videos that you posted on Influicity's TikTok were about TikTok, growing on TikTok, audience building, community building, low views, all that stuff. And then recently you started to introduce new topics. But again, going back to the conversation, we sort of now have pillar content videos or TikToks that have been seen by hundreds of thousands or millions of people that are sort of anchors on the on the channel. And you're creating new content all the time based on the questions that we're getting. So yeah. it's like, you know, that's what we we're talking about earlier. Like, like people will comment on stuff, look at the comments and make new content about the comments because it's like exactly. they're telling you exactly what they want to know. 
Exactly. And that's, yeah, like you said, that's exactly what I did on the Felicity TikTok. People are like, how do I do this? How do I do, how do I do that? And even though it seems like the most simple thing, like people asked, how do I make captions on TikTok? And I was like, how do you not know how to make captions? And I was like, okay, whatever, I'll make a video. And the video did really well. So even if you think it's common sense or common knowledge, it's actually not as common as you think. So make the video anyways, even if it doesn't perform well, you're still helping out some people. And then those people will be really grateful for that. And they'll, you know, likely follow you, comment more questions. And that's how you build the community. Okay. I have one last question for you before we wrap up for today. Did you really not know that Netflix used to mail DVD to, to your house? I didn't know that. You didn't know that. <laughs> no, I just thought it was... I started off as a streaming platform and it's still a streaming platform. Wow. Okay. That's awesome. <laughs> All right. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for joining us today. If you like this kind of stuff, you can follow us at Influicity across every platform. Pretty much. We're there. Thank you for your kind comments coming in. I really appreciate that. We share these recordings, by the way, on our podcast, Modern Marketing. You can get it wherever you listen to podcasts. We drop these recordings a few weeks after we do the sessions. And of course, on our YouTube at Influicity. And if you enjoy Natalie's knowledge, make sure to check out Influicity's TikTok. And uh, if you want to hear more from me, I'm on LinkedIn. Thank you so much for joining today. And we'll talk to you guys next time. Thanks, everyone. Thanks for listening to Modern Marketing. This podcast is brought to you by Influicity, empowering marketers to build customer communities that drive revenue. We create massive demand via social, influencer, content, paid media, and of course, podcast. Learn more at influicity.com.